but I'll get you to stand to your feet. Few people off today, so we're going to have to lift the enthusiasm on behalf of the people that can't be with us today. What do you reckon? Feels a bit like it's about to rain in, in the place. It feels a bit sleepy, um, which that's fine if the weather wants to do that, but it's not fine for God's people to do that because he asks us to be fervent in our prayer and to remain awake in the things of the Spirit. So there's plenty of time for sleeping later. Now's our time to wake up and be present. Yes, amen. All right, so what we're going to do, a great way to wake yourself up is to, to get a shout out there. And we love to do a shout out here in the place. So on the count of three, we're going to do a big shout out and shout for those that can't be with us here today as well. One, two, three. Jesus! Jesus, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, for our voices, Lord. We thank you, Father, for our enthusiasm, our the Spirit dwelling within us. Enthusiasm, God in. Father, as we approach you today with fear and trembling, Father, with full hearts and love, Father, we approach you, Father, and we do that with enthusiasm, Father. We do that because of your Spirit, because you have come in, because you teach us all mysteries and all things, Father, for those that you love. Help us, Lord, to hear you today. Help us to apply what we're about to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, grab a seat. Today marks the fifth year since Sheree and I have been a part of the church here at City Church. It's really exciting for us. Um, and I'd say so much has changed over the last five years. I, um, I think new spaces, new faces, new pandemics, new victories. So much has changed. But the heart of this church, I think the heart of this church has always remained the same. For all of those changes, for all of those years, the heart has remained the same. And that's, I can see within the heart of this church, and I love the heart of this church, I can see that there is a desperation and a generosity when it comes to the things of Jesus. And that is such a rare pairing, both a desperation for Jesus and a generosity for Jesus. I find that a most rare quality indeed, and I, I love it. And I think it, it is a legacy. This church holds that legacy, and that is something that I will never grow tired. That desperation for Jesus is something that I will never grow tired of preaching and endorsing in the MacArthur community. We need it. The community needs it. So when the George family first came to this church, what is now called City Church MacArthur, uh, our two children were in fact the only Two, um, two children in the church at that time. And today, not only has my personal family doubled, but sometimes here we even see up to 18 children coming along to the church, which is just such good, healthy signs. That's a revival. And also we have, um, we have a baby on the way in Alex and Natasha Coates' baby, and that's due in the next month, which is so exciting. Nothing excites me more than life in God's house. Everyone, I, I say it every second week, I love babies in the house. I love, the, I love kids. And God expects life from us. And we should expect life from one another too. Be fruitful and multiply. The first command God gave us, be fruitful and multiply. It's, it's a physical thing and it's a spiritual thing. We, the church, are multipliers. So without further ado, I want to share my good news, and that is that the DA for the second story here in this place has been officially approved. Yes. 
Praise God. We're on the cusp of realizing the increase that we all tithe towards in 2021 before the last lockdown. Uh, we did the largest tithe that this church has ever received. 33,000 we gave towards the future generations to, to give this church a future, to tithe into life, into multiplication, which is the subject of what we'll be talking about today. And I want to thank Steve as well for all his hard work with that. It wouldn't have been possible without that too. Now, we're not 100% sure of what the timeline is going to look like. We do know that when the work starts, it'll likely take a few weeks to complete. So whether we're doing church online or at the park or in a community hall, we'll, we'll sort all that out then. But right now, we're just in the middle of signing leases, new leases, getting the certifiers approval and those things. But works will likely start um, sometime after Easter. And on that note... We're in the final two weeks of a series that we've been doing here at the church around values, around City Church's values. And I see these two things as connected. Um, I see that the values of a place is about building inner strength. It's about unifying under a common code. It's unifying under values. You can't build up until you've made sure that your base is strong. You can't build out until the core is strong. These last few months have been an important time. Internal building, clarifying, uniting, in, pre in preparation for what is bound to be an increase. I can tell you this, one of the reasons why we're doing these creative workshops is I, I run these uh, at the art center all the time and they always sell out. Uh, and here, for the first few, we're going to try and run them for free, 100% for free as an outreach. I've always got in my mind, what is it that, what value can we give to the community? What will people even be willing to be preached at for, you know? And of course, nothing is more valuable than our testimonies, but they don't know that yet. So how can we step them into this building? How can we bridge that gap for them? And so I'm using whatever I've got at my disposal, or at least I intend to do so. And that's what those creative workshops are all about. And I hope that you're thinking the same way. What is at your disposal? What skill set have you got? What are you able to give people freely that will be such a blessing to them that they'll reconsider their idea of who Jesus is? It's a great question to ask yourself. So today we're focusing on our discipleship pathway, our value series. We're focusing on multiplication, specifically the value of living generously. And it's a sermon I've titled, Bloom and Fruit. I'm going to pray again. Lord, you are the catalyst, Father, for all multiplication. All life comes through you, God. You are the seed of our faith, Lord. We are in this place because of you, Lord. You made that possible, Father. And I pray that, Father, just as a seed expects fruit and just as that fruit holds seed, Father, that the life that you put in us, Father, that we can learn to harness it and learn to impart it and learn to give it, Father, in what we're about to hear. Amen. So I'm going to talk through the values and I'm going to do some testimonies. I'm going to end with a bit of a parable. So first up, I'm going to talk about giving freely using my resources to grow the church. 
I remember when I was at university that one of these guys I knew at the time was like kind of running numbers. He was kind of stuck in life and he was running the numbers when his life would be able to move forward. So he was doing an Excel sheet. He was doing a calculation. How much is it going to cost me to get married? How much is it going to cost me to have a wife? How much is it going to cost me to have children? He was crunching all the numbers and he was very distressed. He was like, I I can't afford to be married. I can't afford to have children. And here was him talking to me that had been married for a couple of years at the time, married at 19 without a job. (laughs) I guess I didn't crunch the numbers. (sighs) I I actually think you don't need a living to live. It's a bold statement. You don't need a living to live. You know, Jesus, Jesus was actually, at the time of his ministry, he said, the, the foxes have dens, the hens have their hatches. He had nowhere to rest his head. At that time, Jesus, Jesus was being provided for by God. God is enough provision for you. And it's hard in our earthly understanding to understand God's provision like that. I think a lot of us in our sinful nature would be like, well, if God's going to provide, I might as well quit, quit my job because why am I? Why am I working so hard if it's that easy? But it's not about that. It's about your your relationship with God. It's about your trust for God. You can actually trust if things don't go right, if you're unable to do the work you need to do, you can actually trust God to provide for, for you. God has literally provided other people's fields before. He's literally caused pagan kings to fund the growing of the church. He's fed his prophets from the birds in the sky, from the angels who come and baked some bread. Like these things are not impossible for God. And this is the level, this is these stories, these testimonies that to encourage our trust. God has not changed. Still the provider. You don't need a living to live. You just need Jesus our living bread, our living water. You don't need to be rich to be generous. You only need to be willing to share whatever is in your hand. Now, growing up, I can tell you this, that I didn't have generosity role modeled to me at all. My father, after church, every week our tradition was we'd go through Maccas and we'd get a a soft serve. But... If I were to ask for a little chocolate flake in my soft serve, if I were to ask for something a little bit special, a little addition, he would say, that's fine, but you've got to pay me back that 50 cents later. That's what he used to do. Now, he in turn had been raised by a staunch Salvation Armyist. Actually, my grandmother, I recently found out, before she was in the Salvation Army, she was actually raised by nuns. So, found, so if staunch Salvation Armyist wasn't militant enough, she was actually raised by the nuns. And um, she was kind of known for being the person who, when she was with you, if you looked like you were wearing something expensive, she would interrogate you about it. <laughs> oh, this is legit. These are true stories. So my sister once, who was just wearing a pair of jeans, was interrogated by my grandmother saying, how much did those jeans cost you? And then she even said, you should sell those jeans and you should give that money to the church. You know, this was her attitude. You should do these things. As a teenager, I was trying to make money for Christmas and I was going around the neighborhood cleaning cars. 
I think I've told this story before, but some might not have heard it. When God brought into my life a man named Mr. Ted, I called him. And Mr. Ted was probably the most generous human being that I've ever known. And it was his reputation. And he was loved for it and everybody in the town. He never, he, he was born in, he grew up in, he worked in, and he died in Kayama. He was something of a recluse. <laughs> never went anywhere. And yet his reputation, he was known in that town. He set a culture in that town as being a generous man. When my mum died, it was Ted that provided me food, a roof, and clothing. Is this man. Even though he wasn't a Christian. A few years ago at Ted's funeral, I was able to testify through tears that it was in Ted that for the first time I feel I actually learnt, I actually saw the image of a generous God. Of a God that wanted to provide. Selflessly. Graciously. Isn't that funny, the way that God in his creations, in people that may know nothing about him, that you can see the qualities of God. (laughs) That God can lead pagan people, people that don't even know him, to provide for his people. Because we will inherit a city we did not build. We will harvest a field we did not plant. The provision that that Mr. Ted gave for me, I, I see God's hand in that. I thank God for that. Yes, Mr. Ted was willing. But I believe it was God that made that way. That was, I can attribute that directly to God. I praise him for it. I don't know how I would have survived without it. Anyway, on one occasion, just one occasion, Mr. Ted asked me to do something for him. Mr. Ted uh, was a white-haired man. He wore trousers that were too big for him, just to give you a sense of who he was. Always (laughs) grey. And uh, he would sit at his table all day long and he'd do his crosswords. You know that little nine box thing with the letters in it? And he'd find, well, he'd do crosswords and he'd do that one where you've got to find all the words in it. Anyway, so Mr. Ted asked me for something for the first time. He asked me to go across to the shops, just across from where he lived, and to buy him a newspaper. So I I went and did it. I took my money and I went and I bought him this newspaper and I brought it back and then I gave it to him. And guess what I said when I gave it to him? 100%. I said said to him, oh, that was like I was a cashier. Honestly, this this is one of the moments in my life that I'm the most ashamed about. This was a man that had adopted me as his own son, that had paid for my way. Literally as a teenager, he paid for everything for me. Everything. He provided for me. And yet when it came down to that dollar newspaper, suddenly I must be paid back for that one dollar. What a joke. I'm still conscience struck now, even now some 20-something years later, still conscience-struck. Luke 6, 35 says this. Love your enemies and do good and lend. Love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And in doing that, you will be sons of the Most High, 
For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Within those scriptures, so much there. There's in our generosity that we will be sons of the Most High, that we resemble the Father. It's in our sonship that we are generous. And that we are, we are kind to the ungrateful. <sighs> Let me ask you some questions. Which is better, to survive or be generous? To survive or be generous? What's the point to survival without generosity? On whom is your survival truly dependent? My inheritance is the kingdom of God and it is not a spirit of poverty. I've told you these stories. I've told you this testimony. I've told you these, these stories are very different from each other that I've told. A father that made me pay him back for the smallest thing and a man that was abounding in generosity. You know, but when we talk about our inheritance, when we talk about our inheritance, our choice, what we are moving towards, what we choose as a believer, our inheritance, my inheritance is the kingdom of God and not a spirit of poverty. Amen? So be generous as God is generous. Generosity is not a ransom that would say, I gave you that money, therefore you must do what I say. Love me, owe me. We are not capitalists, slaves at the altar of the false god Mammon, no. We give freely. And when we give freely, give freely in order to free other people. Have you heard that term strings attached? What are those strings for? <laughs> Do we give sometimes unwittingly because we think that makes them need to love us more, owe us more? Giving in such a way can bind someone up, can control them like you're trying to puppet them with these strings attached. It's not right. That is not how our Heavenly Father has taught us to give. So we give and we do not expect thanks. We do not expect actions. We do not expect favors. We do not expect credit or any other return. Give freely as your own grace was freely given to you. You cannot pay that back. You cannot pay back your salvation. This is how God gives. I believe that in our generosity, it is like an act of warfare. I believe that the reason why capitalist society is thriving right now is because the enemy has endorsed capitalist society. He has endorsed this God, Memon, and, uh, and he puts a lot of his energy towards it. And so when we choose to give freely, when we reject the idolatry, it is an act of warfare to give freely. It is an act of warfare that would bring down capitalism. If every man decided to be generous as God is generous right now, it would turn the political system over and it would end capitalism. 
which is dependent on controlling another person with money, with value, with resources. But that's not how God does it. That is not how he does it. Our generosity is an act of warfare. We tithe into heaven. We tithe with our skills and our funds and our enthusiasm. And in doing so, we cast off the orphan spirit and the spirit of poverty. And we receive instead the image of our heavenly father. And in doing so, to to end this point, and in doing so, instead of a generational curse going down from mother to father to father to son, instead of passing along this cheapness, this stinginess, this orphan spirit where you're surviving all the time, taking for yourself, hoarding up, instead of that attitude when you, when you tithe, when you are generous with the kingdom of God and with those that God asks you to be and you give freely, when you do that, you bless the generations. You give them a correct understanding of things. You honor the image of the Father. Amen? Okay. Now let's talk about our next value to communicate encouragingly and to build up those around us. I was, um, I studied a Masters of Art Therapy and a big part of that was counselling and I can remember though that it was a shock to that my um, fellow counsellors in the course when I said to them that I believed that speaking, that using your words is like a gift to a person. You are gifting them your words and that shocked them to hear this. Proverbs 18.21 talks about the tongue as a gateway a tongue that can either unleash heaven or unleash hell. A tongue that can be lit on fire with a, a destructive hellish fire or a fire from heaven that is our enthusiasm. Therefore, if the mouth is a gateway, therefore give heaven when you speak. Matthew 5.37 says, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Therefore, give truth. This is a gift that you can do just by speaking. Gift truth to people. Ecclesiastes 10.14 says, Simply this, do not multiply your words. Therefore, gift value. Value words and gift it in the way that you speak. Here's another story from my childhood. I told you there'd be a couple of testimonies. The last time my hair was this long was when I was 16. I haven't grown it this long since then. Uh, And that's because when I was 16, the coolest thing to be was uh, an emo. (laughs) It's been a long time since that word was used. Um, But anyway, I kind of liked liked the hair as as a kind of veil. If, I, if 17-year-old me, 16-year-old me was here in church right now, I'd actually have closed the blinds, so to speak, with my hair. And um, no one could tell whether my eyes were open or closed. I'm telling you they were closed, but that's, um, yeah, it's not great. Anyway, I remember that one day the church was doing an activity on encouragement in the church. And uh, we were kind of going around and we were having to like ask God a word for another person. And we were having to speak into people's lives to build up the encouragement in the place. 
And um, when, it, when it came up to me, the pastor's wife said a word which greatly offended me at the time, but has nevertheless now stuck with me some two decades. And she said to me, she said, you're full of joy. And you cannot say something more offensive to an angsty 16-year-old who's trying to uh, be an emo, <laughs> who's trying to spending their days drenching themselves in feeling sorry and listening to Radiohead and doing all of those things. So that was actually, you know. And the worst part about it is the whole church agreed with her. She said, you're full of joy. And everyone said, oh, yes, that's, that's true. They were all agreeing. How dare she? Who did she think she was? I'm not joyous. I'm dark and brooding. I think I wanted to be back then. Let me tell you, do not be discouraged by appearances. When all of the hordes of hell are screaming at you to shut up, are trying to silence your testimony, that is precisely when the gospel and when your testimony will roar the loudest. I believe the gospel when it says, when I am weak, he is strong. In a circumstance, when I am feeling weak and I yield and I say, you know what, God, I've just got to give this to you and I'm just going to walk in what you, in obedience, whatever you tell me to do. And I walk away from those moments feeling like an idiot, feeling pathetic, feeling weak. But it's often those moments where people reflect to me and say, oh, you were strong in that moment. Because when I am weak... He is strong. When I feel like I can't say a single word, like my mouth is being held shut with a thousand tons, but the name of Jesus can pierce through that. And the testimony of hope that has been placed in us can open the deaf ear and, and the dumb mouth. So the pastor's wife saw something that was truer than the lies of the enemy and my attempts at my own attempts at self-determination. I thought I was, I wanted to be this trendy thing and her words pierced through and she boldly prophesied through my walls. And I wanted to tell you church that you can do this. I'm telling you this testimony as an encouragement. This is something you can do. I was going to the Church of, the Christ, Church of Christ at that time and they never talked about things like prophecy. But what she said to me was a word of prophecy. What she said to me was, God used that as an opportunity to actually speak into my future, which is why here I am 20 years later reflecting on a, on a single kind of, she probably thought nothing of it a second time. And here I am, it, it got through to me, even though I was, I was delusional then. And I said, no, that's not true. And yet God has this way of getting through your cracks and embedding the seed of life and of truth. Though the enemy would bind you up, surround you in darkness and confusion, God has a way, doesn't he? God has a way of getting the truth and his word into your heart, embedding it in there. I love God's way. I love how he does that. Give God power over your tongue. Give him power over your tongue. Give him power over your words that you speak. And watch how he will bring the works of heaven through it. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32 me read it. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
but only such that is good for building up. As fits the occasion, that it may be grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, let them be away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. All right, last, the last value we'll look at today, and then I'm going to just tell you a short parable, is embracing opportunities to help others through social justice. There's a word that's really popular nowadays in the church, especially online, that's called deconstructing your faith. If you haven't heard it, no offense, but you're probably too old. That's fine. But I can tell you what it is because it's been around for a long time. Essentially, it's, it's, it's a fancy word for doubt. <laughs> it's basically uh, looking at the practices of the church and critiquing the effectiveness on them and kind of the religious components to them. Did you know it's not hard to pull down? With a big enough hammer, I could remove all, all of this <laughs> with a big enough hammer. It's not, it's not actually hard to pull stuff down, but that doesn't make you powerful or, or intelligent to pull something down. I think a lot of the time it just makes you a jerk. This world's ideas and their identifications, they've become this word that's over this generation as well, fluid. They've become so fluid that they don't even have a leg to stand on anymore and they're resembling something more akin to the snake itself, I believe. The devil is trying to make this generation in his own image where they are so confused that all they're doing is spending all their time putting their hearts and minds in the, du in the dust. If they would just look up and see Jesus and see the image that was tried to be created in them, but they're so busy trying to be fluid that they stand for nothing. It is pertinent here to recall that originally the practice of deconstruction was actually simply called destruction in an academic context when they first released it. But it seemed even then to them, those people that were so disillusioned, destruction seemed a bit too much of a rebuke. <laughs> Jesus did not fear deconstruction. Rather, he challenged us, Mark 14, 58, pull down this temple and I will simply rebuild it. <laughs> I'll rebuild it in three short days. In other words, you can, you can try and crucify God. You can try and pull down the church. You can try and pull down even your own self. But the truth has a remarkable quality of resurrecting life. The truth will be made known. Life will be made known. Jesus is not interested in throwing stones. He desires to establish foundations. He desires to prepare a place for us. Where is Jesus right now? In heaven. I have gone to heaven to prepare a place for who? For us, for you. It's great. That's what he's doing right now. He's busy. We, we should be busy too. He's going to prepare a place for us to build a heavenly city, a promised land. That's what he's doing. 
Now, but can you remember in John 8, 7, when the Pharisees sought to stone a sinner? And in this circumstance, Jesus' response was neither to attack the sinner nor the Pharisee. He did not go around, he did not go to each of them and take the stones out their hands. He did not attack them. But he reminded us, he said, you that who is without sin, cast the first stone. See, this is an angle on social justice. In social justice, often people are drawn to this, that have a big mercy heart, but that try and do it in their own strength. And I can tell you in the social services, people burn out time and time again because they're doing it in their own strength. But Jesus' approach here was to remind us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, therefore abound in grace. Abound in grace. That's the work of social justice, to abound in grace. Our means of helping others and social justice, it is, for a Christian, our means of helping others and for social justice is not humanitarian. Every part of this world will try and sell you humanism, love people, love people, obsession with people. But we're not humanitarians. What we do actually runs deeper than just feel-good benevolence. We're not doing it because we want to feel good about helping someone else. We're actually got a great commission. And our, our response to our great commission needs to be great obedience to a great commission. When we walk in our commission, we are walking in obedience to Jesus, not because we understand it, but because we're obeying our good God. Proverbs 24, 11 to 12 says this, Rescue those being led away by away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does he not, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he, God, who guards your life, know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Now, I want to tell you a parable, and I'm going to finish up with this. And the parable is at a tangent to all of this, and it's just a story. It's, it's part of um, the title, To Bloom and Fruit. Every fruit, this is my research. Like, I'm, not a, I'm not an avid gardener, but I, I love the principles of God that he has built into the goodness of creation. So this is what I've learned, and you can correct me a little bit later if I'm wrong. But that every fruit actually begins as a flower right? Did you know this already? So all fruit begins as a flower, but not every flower becomes fruit. Now flowers, as you know, are beautiful. They are sweet smelling. But a flower can't stay a flower if it wants to complete the mission for which it was called, to become fruit, right? You with me? The flower must be pollinated in order to become fruit and pollination generally requires the flower to be acted upon by an external force. Generally, a tree cannot pollinate itself. It actually needs something to help in the process. And hence the idiom, this is actually where the, we were talking about sayings a bit earlier um, and uh, this is actually where the idiom comes from, the birds and the bees. Because they assist in the multiplication process. When people say, oh, the birds and the bees, they're actually talking about the way that 
the way that fruit trees procreate, not so much human beings. Anyway, different topic. Once pollinated, once a flower is pollinated, the next part isn't actually pretty. The flower, once pollinated, actually wilts and dies. But down the stem, something else amazing has happened because down the stem at the base that has been pollinated begins to stretch, begins to swell, and all of this kind of happens under the precarious elements. So much can go wrong in this process. Under the precarious elements, under the hungry wilds, until finally it is swelled to the point that it has ripened and the sweetness and the colour and the life of the flower is suddenly returned to what is now fruit. Isn't that amazing? God's amazing. The sweetness, the colour, the life has been restored, but with a newfound potency with seeds inside, and it's ready to champion this cycle once more. So in this parable, I believe that the transformation of a flower into fruit is actually the mystery of multiplication. That a heart's love for Jesus is like the blooming flower. It is sweet. It is beautiful. A heart's love for Jesus But it is only when acted upon by external forces of this broken world, when acted upon by external forces, that it can be pollinated, that a testimony can be realized. And at that time, when the world is acting upon you, when you might have been naive or you might have been young, and, you know, back when we were all more beautiful and more sweet-smelling, and then the world acts upon us, and it feels in that moment like we might have lost something. We might have lost some faith. We might have lost some gusto, like we're being stretched and contorted. But you're actually swelling up. That there is actually, that the word of life and the pollination and the testimony and what God is working, that these are no accidents, but that you're actually, yeah, something is happening to you. It is part of the cycle. It is part of the process. It is part of the calling. It is part of the multiplication. It's not wasted. It can hurt. It can be ugly, but it is not wasted. Trust Jesus. He will not only restore your sweetness and color and life, but he's going to grow others through you. That's why flowers go to fruit because they they want to survive. They want to thrive. They want life. It is for life's sake. And the fruit of your testimony, and this is the final word, and this can be the only word you remember if you want, But the fruit of your testimony is heaven's harvest. Isn't that nice? Each and every one of us have a calling. Each and every one of us have a testimony. Each and every one of us have a greatness that is the image of your Father inside you. We're accountable to that. I'll get you to stand to your feet. I just want to do a bit of like frank talking for a second. We're accountable to that. I think everyone has something to give. I think that that, that's something that the believer should be able to say definitively, that you are not what the world would say, a waste of space or to value as 
20 bucks an hour, $100 an hour and tell you what to do for the rest of your life, that there is a generosity that comes with a tithe, that there is an understanding, a free serving that begins to establish because of the demonstration of Christ. A true revelation. This is the truth. The rest is a lie. All other things must pass away except the words of Jesus Christ, which are eternal. The value of Jesus Christ, which is eternal. Allow such things as those to convict our hearts, to define why it is you exist, to define it is what every word you're going to say, every action you are going to do. God is building in you. You might, you, you might be thinking right now, perhaps the flower image, you can close your eyes. Maybe the flower image resonated with you. Maybe yesterday smelt sweeter, felt more exciting, beautifuler. I believe that Jesus wants to remind us as we talk about multiplying in this place, multiplying faith in this place, multiplying enthusiasm in this place, that when we talk about these things, I believe today we can build trust. We can trust Jesus that that beauty that He created, that life that He sustains, that He He can do it again, church. He's doing it as you speak. Something, you can leave this place with a deep trust, with a, with a hope even, with an excitement, an enthusiasm. We're going to praise God. I'm going to invite you first. I'm going to invite you that if you've never met Jesus before, if you've never called Him your Lord and Saviour, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. If you want to begin that relationship with Him, just raise your hand. If you want to express a deeper trust, this is something new. If as a believer, if you want to express a deeper trust, if you want to tell God that you're excited, yeah, come on, yeah. There is good fruit. <laughs> Who else? Come on. If you want to tell Jesus that you are excited for what He is going to be building in you, for what comes next, just lift your hand. Yep. All right, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to praise God and we're going to wrap it up. God, I just thank You so much, Father, for these words, Father, that You've put into Your Word, Father, these testimonies that you put on us, Father. And Lord, I thank You for the very goodness that screams at us from nature itself, Father. And Lord, we trust You in that, God. And Lord, even as we, right now, even as we're stretched, Father, even as things may not look as good as they did yesterday, Lord, we are trusting You that tomorrow something big is coming, Father tomorrow that there is more good fruit yet to come for us and that there is life yet in us, God. And I pray for every hand that was raised, Father, that you will just be near to them, that you will just be near to them, Father, and that you will reward their enthusiasm, God, and that you will pour it out, God.
pour out your spirit on them. Increase their enthusiasm. To those who are given much, much will be given. Increase their enthusiasm, Father. Amen. Thanks, church. Let's praise him again.